0: It used to be that you would, you know, if you drove across the country and you listened to radio stations in different markets, you would stumble on these really interesting things. And a radio station in Chicago would sound really different from a radio station in Austin, Texas, that would sound really different from a radio station in Sacramento. And with consolidation, commercial radio sounds the same, no matter where you go. And so I think that there's just something really appealing and and that, has been lost. And so when people find it, they really like it where it's you you listen to a station and you really hear that sense of place. You really get a sense of, oh, this is what the city is like. This is what's going on. These are people who are highly involved in their communities. I think that it's really interesting to people to sound like a place.
1: Welcome to Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. My name is Paul Reismandel. Joining me is... Hello, everybody.
2: Eric Klein here and we have Jennifer Waits on the line. From San
1: Francisco. Greetings. And today, uh, we've got a great interview to share. What a um, nice show today. It's a, it's a success story, right? It's a su- success story in radio. Born of extremely hard work. Born of extremely hard work and strategy, which... And passion. Which our guest shares. And that that's wonderful. So I think this, there's great advice in this interview for people who... Are launching a radio station or at a radio station, but also great advice if you're doing something online or you're launching a podcast, an online station. I think there's so much, so, so many great takeaways here for kind of any kind of independent media project.
2: Yeah, we spoke with Sean Campbell, who's the founder and general manager at Chirp, Chicago. Independent Independent Radio 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 project, which was an online radio station for a Decade? Almost, Not quite, yeah, nearly yeah, a decade. Yeah. the The project uh, began with a meeting over over drinks. I'm assuming. I'm just going to assume drinks. <laughs> uh, uh, ten years ago, and now it's a radio station. And in the mid, in the meantime, it was online.
1: Yes, and and Sean also was an activist to help make this next right? wave of low power because FM there was happen. A, there was one thing
2: in their way; they couldn't get on the air on the terrestrial radio unless they changed. The law
1: yes and and she put her sweat and shoe leather into it along with lots of other people in Chicago to help make that happen to create a new wave of community radio stations operating at 100 watts of power explicitly non-commercial there are thousands of new stations going on the air have gone on the air uh, since 2013. Because of the efforts of folks like Sean Campbell and the folks at the Chicago Independent Radio Project. That's why it's such a great success story, uh, I think, because it's a station that was sort of conceived, uh, went online because there were no uh, licenses to be had in the city of Chicago. And
3: and people really didn't think that Low Power FM would come to urban areas. Yeah. so. That's a huge success
1: story to even have a low-power FM station in
3: Chicago. Exactly,
1: And and they they put their backs into it, and they really worked hard, and and it happened. And now they are on the air in Chicago. Let's hear the interview. From Chicago, Illinois, we're joined on the line by Sean Campbell, who is the general manager and founder of CHIRP, Chicago Independent Radio Project. Welcome to Radio Survivor.
0: Oh, thanks for having me.
1: And I mean, we want to talk with you because the Chicago Independent Radio Project is a community radio station, which you founded as an online station some 10 years ago, in which you now have launched a low power FM signal, a a full FM signal on the air in Chicago a place yeah. that uh, previously didn't have any low-power FM community stations at all. And it's a wonderful story, and it's particularly wonderful, Sean, because you and CHIRP were active in helping make this a possibility, not just for Chicago, but for cities all over the country, from LA to New York to San Francisco and Portland. And that's so much why we wanted to talk with you. Um, maybe just to get started, can you just uh, briefly tell us like, what is CHIRP? What kind of station is it?
0: Sure. We're a station that really focuses on independent music, arts and culture in Chicago. We think there's so much great music coming out of the city. So we play a ton of local music, but, um, you know, we, we also just play a really wide mix of other stuff that we think is good and interesting and isn't on commercial radio. And we're really committed to live local radio. So all of our programming is DJs live in our studios in real time. Programming their shows, cura- curating their shows, and interacting with listeners, and um, we try to do a lot of. We have conversations with local artists, and we work in concert with local independent businesses and other nonprofits, trying to let the community know about their
1: work as well. And about how many volunteers do you have? How many DJs do you have?
0: Well, we have about 250 volunteers, and of those 250 volunteers, about 65 or 70 of them are DJs.
1: Wow. <laughs> that's that's a big staff. I mean, for, for kind of any station anywhere, uh, that's a big staff. And you grew this uh, staff and, and and sort of your listenership first as an online station, right, 10 years ago?
0: Right. Um, we We started the station in July of 2007. Well, we started the organization, I should say, in 2007. And we worked for a couple of years just to raise awareness and raise money. And then we launched the station online in January of 2010. And the thing was, from the time that we started Chirp, we always intended it to be an over-the-air station, uh, a broadcast station, but we didn't have that option at the time because obviously there were no frequencies available. So we launched online. And it's funny when you look at how much things have changed because when we first started in 2007, we talked about starting online, and it didn't seem like a realistic option. Yeah. But within a year, we we thought, oh, it's absolutely a realistic option.
1: Why did you think it wasn't a realistic option uh, when you first started with the idea?
0: Well, stations were streaming in 2007, but it definitely wasn't a primary way that people were were listening to radio. And it just seemed like it would be impossible to get a... Uh, a decent-sized audience built when you only had the online signal. And like I say, we quickly changed our minds. Things changed so fast that um, it was within the first year that we, we decided that we, we could launch online.
1: And at that time, there was no low-power FM window open, right? There was no opportunity for someone to get one of these low-powered, uh, expressly non-commercial, Uh, community oriented stations Uh, you couldn't do it there'd been a window uh, that happened in 2000 those stations had been licensed they've been built um, and the way the FCC does this is they open up windows and that's when people can apply and furthermore there weren't any stations in Chicago because um, Congress had acted to greatly cut back the stations that could be put on the air in low power FM based up, you know, basically responding to lobbying from the national association of broadcasters. And, and the effect was that on in sort of crowded dials that like we have in major cities, uh, there could be no low power FM stations. So there were none in Chicago, none in San Francisco. That was, that was during the first wave. Of that was low in the first FM. wave. That was back in 2000. And right. so you start Sure hoping to have it as a broadcast station you know the the idea germinating in 2007 though knowing that there isn't much of an opportunity so how did you start making that move towards imagining it as a broadcast station when you knew there weren't weren't any opportunities i mean what did you do how did you how did you start to make make that kind of uh sort of mental leap if you will
0: Sure. Well, I mean, from the beginning, we were aware that there were efforts to expand low power FM. I knew that from the time that I started CHIRP. And so the first thing that we intended to do was join the effort and pass this bill, the Local Community Radio Act, that would expand low power FM into big cities. So that was one of the first things that we did when we, when, when we, we got the organization together and started building it was I got in touch with Prometheus Radio Project, who I'd already had contacts with because I ran another community radio station before this and uh, you know just said, what's the status of this bill? How can we help? How can we get involved? And so immediately we went, we testified uh, at a hearing before a couple of FCC commissioners when they came to Chicago, when they were traveling around the country, taking public comment on the Low Power FM issue. And then we started activating our supporters. We got out at summer festivals. And every time we were out in public, we collected handwritten letters. We would kind of help people through the process of writing a letter to their member of Congress, and saying why they thought low-power FM was, was important, why community radio was important in big cities. And over the next couple of years, we actually generated more than 2,000 letters to Congress and hundreds of phone calls in support of the local community radio act. So we really jumped right into that because we knew that if that bill didn't pass, there was no hope of getting a broadcast signal in Chicago.
1: Wow. And, and what was it like that process of sort of educating your listeners and supporters whether it's sort of on on the air or at least online there on the station or at these local events and stuff I mean uh, how did you break it down what were those conversations like
0: yeah this was all before we had a station so this was sitting there at tables and talking to people one-on-one and Uh, doing it on, you know, at that point on our MySpace page (laughs) Mm -hmm. and, um, just really, it was, it was really a good opportunity to talk to people face to face and make them understand why the issue was important. And people would leave our table at the end of our conversation saying like, wow, I had no idea about this. Like I wasn't particularly interested at the beginning and now I'm really glad to know that you guys are doing this. Um, I talked about translators and explained what translators were and had my spiel down about that so tight at the time because I had to have that conversation again and again and again.
1: And, and and so, so what is a translator for the folks in our audience who might, who might not know what, what that means with regard to radio? Since you've got the spiel, maybe you'd explain it. <laughs>
0: It's a little rusty at this point, but uh, a translator is a transmitter that uh, retransmits another signal. And what had happened was that a lot of translators at the time were being abused and stations had purchased a bunch of translators and were using them to retransmit distant signals. So if you had a, a station in, in, you know, Northern California, there were religious broadcasters in in Northern California in particular who bought translator after translator after translator so they could bounce their signal to one translator, to the next, to the next, and cover way more territory than they were supposed to. And um, so effectively, it's it's a misuse of the the spirit of, of, the, of what translators are supposed to be for, if not the law. And all these translators were taking up spaces that local stations could have been placed in. So we were... Fighting against that, we were also um, making the case that low-power FMs at 100 watts wouldn't interfere with full-power stations since translators, which the National Association of Broadcasters is a big fan of, uh, can be licensed up to 250 watts. And somehow, magically, they don't cause interference. But um, you know, the argument was low-power FMs at 100 watts would cause interference with, with full-power stations. So we talked a lot about that.
1: Well, that's great. And and the folks you talk with, I mean, I guess they were getting excited about the prospect of a station like the Chicago Independent Radio Project taking to the airwaves in Chicago. Why do you think they were so excited?
0: Well, at the time, Chicago was the largest city in the country without a true community radio station that was independent of any other entity and I think that the, this is a great music city. It's uh, always been a, a pretty vital media city. And people were just hungry for a, 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 an opportunity to kind of showcase what Chicago has to offer. Um, you know, there, I think people are dissatisfied with what they're finding on commercial radio. And in Chicago, there actually aren't, a, you know, there aren't multiple public radio stations. A, a lot of big cities have, you know, as many as two or three different public radio stations. And at the time, Chicago only had WBEZ, which is a news and talk station. And so people just really were looking for a local radio station that would focus on independent music, on Chicago music, and kind of what was going on very immediately in their community. And I think people are really interested in that personal connection that it's possible to have with a local radio station that, that's done well.
1: And then the Local Community Radio Act of uh, did pass. It passed in 2010, and what that did was uh, undid this restriction that Congress passed back in 2000 uh, and, and basically said that, that low-power FM stations can be placed into these little pockets in the dial, in especially in big cities, but all over, uh, where you can't put a 10,000 or 100,000-watt station, but you could put a 100-watt station, and you could then, therefore, start to serve – communities within cities like Chicago or, or San Francisco or New York and then in 2013 uh, there was the application window meaning that was the opportunity for people all over the country could apply for one of these stations it's something we've been covering a lot at Radio Survivor on the podcast and I guess you went ahead and, and, and put in an application for chirp was there was there much competition was it was it a nail biter for you?
0: there was a lot of competition in Chicago not quite as much as there were in some other big cities. But we did get into a situation where uh, a suburban police department had applied for the same frequency as we had, and we were in danger of being in a shared time arrangement with them. And we had some conversations with them, and it was clear that they hadn't really, I think a lot of applicants put in applications because... They were told this might be a good idea for you, but they hadn't really thought through what they would do if they were awarded a station.
2: Yeah. How to fill the hours and hours of the week.
1: Yeah, 168 hours.
0: (laughs) And so once we started talking to them, I think they started to think, oh, yeah, we we really haven't thought this all the way through. And they dropped out. And so then then we were the only applicants for 107.1.
1: And so then you had to jump in to going from this having the idea of a station to actually putting the station on the air, and 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 so you already were online at this point, correct?
0: Right. We we at that point that we were awarded the the license, which was in 2014. Um, we had been on the on on the air um, online um, for almost four years.
1: So you kind of had already the uh, outreach, you had listenership, you had a staff, but yet. I mean, an actual radio station is still a whole other thing. Like, I mean, What did that take? I mean, would it take a lot of fundraising? Did it take a whole bunch more organizing?
0: Um, well, you know, operationally, we were set. We ran the station from the beginning as if we were on the air. So we didn't want to make it hard on ourselves when we actually were able to get the broadcast up. So all the DJs were trained in as if we were operating a non-commercial broadcast station. So that part was, was easy. But the hard part was then um, dealing with uh, the permitting issues and the various uh, committees of the city of Chicago and being able to build this, this really big tower that we thought we were first going to have to have. And that actually caused about two years of delay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And we eventually had to, we moved, we, we changed our location two times. Um, we had an original location. Then we, we had to put in for a change with the FCC. And then we put in for another change this past, uh, this past January. Um, because after two years trying to work out the middle location, we found that it was never going to make it through the city planning committee. The size, the size, we got some bad advice. <laughs> mm. The size of the structure was just too big. And we actually found a new location that was at a much taller building where we could build a much smaller tower structure.
1: And where's your station located? Where's the studios and where's the, where's your transmitter in Chicago? Our
0: st- Our studios are in the North Center neighborhood on the north side of Chicago, and our transmitter is in the Edgewater neighborhood, which is a little over closer to the lake on the north side.
1: And do you know about how much of the city does your signal cover?
0: Uh, We know that there are about a million people in the, the, you know, the potential listening audience. And so we cover we cover the north side and some of the near north suburbs uh, pretty well. We've been actually we've been so happy with the coverage.
1: That's great. We're talking with Sean Campbell. She is the general manager and founder of the Chicago Independent Radio Project, which is an online community radio station which recently launched as an on-the-air low-power FM station, of course, in the city of Chicago. My name is Paul Reismanel. This is Radio Survivor. With me is Eric Klein and Jennifer Waits. And uh, what was the date that you went on the air Sean? October 21st. October 21st 2017. of 2017.
2: And it was a 10-year yes. a journey from the the beginning of sitting down and planning the project, I understand. It I'm, was.
3: So, I'm so curious what that launch day was like. I, I was lucky to visit you guys in 2016 and, and have been waiting for the launch. So what happened on the day and how did you guys recognize the launch over FM? Um, It was... Uh, it, it, it was a really great day. It was, it was
0: really emotional. We um, just had a handful of people at the studio. We actually did a big public party at a bar in Andersonville called Hop Leaf, where um, they opened up early for us. So they opened up at about 11 a.m. Our launch was at noon. And so we had uh, 100 people or so who came out to listen to the broadcast launch at Hop Leaf. And um, so I was in the studio and um, another longtime uh, CHIRP person, a founding board member, was on the air with me, Mike Bennett, who's on most Saturdays, on Saturdays before me. And we just did what we do. You know, we didn't really want it to be super different because we have been, you know, effectively, uh, you know, I use the term on the air. We've been online, you know, for, for seven and a half years. And so we wanted to welcome new listeners, but not put off the people who had been listening to the stream. So we just really celebrated the fact that it was 10 years of work. We talked about the people who made it possible and uh, we tried to play some meaningful songs. You know, we started out with a set of local music and played a lot of local uh, requests. We played requests from some of the founding board members and from some listeners who'd been with us for a long time. And really just um, it was a celebration of what what we've always believed in, um, which is just, you know, to to do really great music focused radio that that really pays tribute to the city that we're in.
1: I wish I'd been there. Uh, Many people maybe listening to the show, don't realize that I lived in Chicago before I moved here to Portland, where I live right now. And I was the uh, the advisor to a college station in Evanston just north of Chicago Northwestern University uh you know so a station which storied, been on the air for 60 some years and provided you know a lot of local service but of course tied to a university which uh it's great that Northwestern has been a university that has supported its college station quite well over the course of decades but of course as we've talked about on the show before and we've documented um it can be precarious at times, and and college stations need to be very uh, diligent about making sure that they're continuously sort of uh, proving their worth to their campus and the people who fund them. And of course, a college station can be great and often has community members involved, but it's not the same thing okay. as a community radio station. And and I know you have some experience with that, Sean. If you could talk a little bit about you know your history in radio, what kind of you know led up to you wanting to launch. Uh, a community station like Chirp.
0: Oh, Okay. Uh, I ran a community university hybrid station in Chicago for eight years at Loyola university. And we worked really hard over that time to, um, to build up the station and build listenership and Build goodwill, really, in the community. Um, Loyola is a, a university that had kind of a fraught relationship with its neighborhood, Rogers Park, on the far north side of Chicago. And at WLUW, we did a lot of work to really reach out to. It's a super diverse community. I used and to live there. Fed- that
1: was my neighborhood.
0: Yeah, and so we had shows in, um, I think, eight different languages, and we did a, a ton of music programming as well, and we had about 50% students and 50% community volunteers at the station. And um, so at a time where there was, there was um, concern about the university buying up a lot of property and gentrification and everything, we felt like what the station did was really great outreach and built a lot of goodwill. Um, you know, in, in the community for Loyola. And, the, and um, a new president came in and he was there. It was a difficult time financially for the university. He was there to make budget cuts. And so one of the first things that he decided when he came in was that he wanted to sell the station. And um, we convinced him not to sell it. And then he decided he just wanted to find somebody who would pay for it. And so they signed an operating agreement with WBEZ, the big public radio station in town. And initially, we'd been really um, opposed to that because we thought that it would be a a takeover. But in fact, um, WBEZ came in and they kept us on the two people who were staff people there, myself and and Craig Coyes, who was the general manager. And they just taught us how to fundraise. So we spent five years as part of uh, the WBEZ family. And each year we were more successful with our fundraising. We balanced our budget in the fifth year, which was the goal. And then a couple of weeks later, uh, Loyola University said they were going to back out of that agreement and they were going to get rid of both of us staff people. And they didn't want the station to really be a community radio station anymore. They wanted it to be a learning lab for the Department of Communication. And so all the work that we had done over all these years and all the stress and effort that we had put into being able to cover the station's entire budget was all kind of thrown by the wayside. And it was just really a lesson that I'd already been through a number of times before because I worked in commercial radio, which is that the holder of the license holds your fate. And if, uh, if the holder of the license wants to pull the rug out from under you, they can do it. And there's not a thing you can do. So it was just a reinforcement of the idea that being the license holder is really key. And, um, that's why I wanted to start a truly independent radio station.
1: Yes. And I think we've seen through this low power FM window, the stations that are going on the air now, um, Several stations started by people who've kind of had the same experience or a similar experience to you, Uh, folks who were involved at KUSF, which was a uh, university station in San Francisco, where where the university, it was kind of a community college hybrid and the university uh, sold sold the station and folks who were there have gone on to create a a low power FM. And there's several other examples, aren't there, Jennifer, uh, of of those stations uh, kind of going on the air, maybe in Nashville. Am I correct?
3: Yeah. Yeah, some of the former WRVU people started a low power FM in Nashville. So, yeah, I I, I sense a lot of similarities with your experience.
1: Yeah. But I guess through that experience of working uh, at uh, WLUW, you you also developed a lot of community ties. You also developed a lot of good fundraising and organizing skills that I guess you were able to put to work with Chirp.
0: Definitely, Uh, you know, definitely everything that we've been able to do in terms of um, we've been really lucky. We've we've been good fundraisers from the beginning. And um, I mean, I attribute that to the skills that I learned from from that relationship with WBEZ.
1: Well, maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Uh, Sean Campbell, uh, general manager and founder of the Chicago Independent Radio Project, a online station that is now a full uh, also Low Power FM on the air community station in Chicago, Um, because I think there's a lot of folks listening to the show who are either at stations that are on the air or building low power FM stations or would love to create a project, maybe like chirp online, um, but they don't quite know how to how to raise the funds. And I, don't, I mean, you know, I don't expect you to kind of write a business plan for us here. But, <laughs> but if you were going to give some some quick advice to somebody who who is looking to either fund an existing station or maybe boost fundraising uh, for a station they want to build, I mean, what kind of advice would you give? What are some some sort of high level top things they should they should do or try to do?
0: I think we we're were we really lucky that we're in such a big city. And I recognize that that's such a benefit. But I think that the key thing was that we got out there from the beginning and we talked to people in person. Like I said, we really took the opportunity to be at every street festival we could be at in the summer, to um, go to music venues. And, and you know we had good existing relationships. But building those relationships, if you don't have them, is important. Talking to people about what you want to do, why you want to do it how the station will benefit the community, how it will benefit them. And then you just, you have to ask for money. You have to be comfortable making the case for why what you're, you want to do is valuable and that they should support it. And so from the very beginning, you know, I think probably we started building an email list and, and within the first month we put out an appeal And we also did a benefit concert within the first month, and we raised about $1,500 at the benefit show. And we used that $1,500 to print up postcards and buttons and um, some T-shirts to sell and kind of took it from there in terms of the posters and the postcards provided information about the station. They had a link. Again, we didn't even have a website at that point, so it was a MySpace page Um, But we set up a PayPal account and put a link on the on the MySpace page to the PayPal account so people could donate. And um, really early on, we just set up a membership program, we set up a sustaining member program where people could give small amounts monthly or quarterly. And we also always have done a good number of events, both big and small. And that's I think it's really valuable when community radio stations share their ideas and their resources. And one of our biggest fundraisers, actually a fundraiser that we do in two different versions is our record fair. Um, these are really huge, uh, you know, 100 vendors selling selling records. We do one that is freestanding in the spring and another is part of the Pitchfork Music Festival in July. But um, it was WFMU who shared all their information about the record fair that they do on the East Coast that helped us build our record fair. And um, so events are really important to us, and, and they raise a good chunk of money for us. And we also do some grant writing, so we've, we were lucky enough to get some grant support from pretty early on. And uh, we've always tried to just keep those revenue streams diverse, so if you run into a problem in one area, you're not totally reliant on, on just that money. It's not all foundation support. It's not all event support. We really try to keep it, it mixed up
1: you know i think that's great and it's great that you were able to you know get some advice from the BFMU which is a great community radio station in Jersey City New Jersey known for its eclectic uh, music and and has been online since since radio could be online for the most part and and thinking you know and and thinking about that that Personal face to face seems to have been very important in the history of your station. It sounds like it helped you to fundraise, it helped you to build awareness, and it helped you to you know join in the support of getting the local community radio act uh, passed. And I think sometimes for folks who want to start radio stations, they're a little intimidated by 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 that. You know, they see things like Kickstarter or they you know or 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 Patreon or PayPal and things like this, and and hope that maybe if they just sort of uh, put the call out there for people. to 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 donate that that it'll that it will just happen um but it sounds like there's still a fair amount of uh hitting the bricks and 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 shoe leather involved and and i guess my question to you is you know i mean was that tiring (laughs) you know i I mean what you know what what was there was there good aspects of it if you if you're going to give someone a pep talk to do that sort of uh really like I mean, it's really kind of outreach and community building. Uh, I mean, how would you encourage them? You know, why should they do it?
0: Well, I think probably more, even more so now than when we started 10 years ago, it does seem challenging because everything has migrated online and I don't want to, I would never in any way denigrate things like Kickstarter. We did a Kickstarter. That was um, part of how we funded our launch too. So, you know, I wouldn't say don't try that, but the thing is you have to give people a reason just putting something up online and saying you want to raise money for It won't convince anyone. And so it all started with these personal conversations. And I think in, you know, you, you kind of talk to two different audiences on the one hand, you talk to an audience that is enthusiastic from the start, like a new radio station. That seems cool. I'm excited about that. Tell me more. And then on the other side, you might get people who are more like, well, why radio now? Who cares? Nobody, nobody listens to radio. Um, You know, people will try to make that argument with you, like, why would you even want to do it? And the thing is, it's amazing how many people do care. And the example that I always used was for 10 years, you know, the better part of 10 years when we were out at events, people would say, "Oh, Chirp Radio, I don't know about you. That sounds cool. What number are you on the dial?" That was the that would be the first question they would ask, and it didn't matter if they were 16 or if they were 60. And you would watch some people just lose interest the moment that you said you were you were online hmm. um, because people think of online radio as something different you know whether it's that they think of um, you know, Pandora, or they think of Spotify, or they think, you know, it's just somebody with their iTunes on shuffle. They think it's a vanity project. They don't think of it as being, i making little finger quotes, like real radio. Mm-hmm. And the idea of real radio means something to people. It, it's it's legitimacy to an extent, but it's also just convenience of listening. It's free listening rather than having to pay for data uh, in some cases. And so I think really talking to people about why, why all those things matter and why the idea of, of connection and curation is important. You've got everything at your fingertips right now, but your Spotify account will never make you feel slightly less alone in the world. Um, you know, that radio is so good at these intimate connections and, and, and kind of letting you know what's going on in your community. It's so immediate. It's so intimate. You listen to radio in these intimate moments when you wake up in the morning or in your shower or in your car. And you can really build a, a relationship with people over time listening to, to a radio station. People have these relationships where they feel like they know the people on the air, even if they've never met them or even seen what they look like. And when you talk to people about this, some people recognize it immediately, and they know, and they just think it's cool. But other people, they're kind of like, oh, yeah, you're right. And um, once you convince them of the reasons why it's important, they're much more likely to give you money than if you just say, like, we're building a radio station. Here's, you know, here's a blog post about why we're building a radio station. Give us money
1: yeah and Sean Campbell of Chicago Independent Radio Project, I mean, you sort of mentioned that you you, you benefit to some extent by being in Chicago, right the uh, yeah. third largest city in the country with maybe a million people who can actually tune in your uh low power f m signal, but it sounds like all the techniques you're talking about would be just as applicable in like a small town or a medium sized city or a small city, you know. I mean, you said you do a lot of events. So that means, like, you go to concerts. Do you go to like you go to street fairs? You go to mm-hmm. festivals and things like this.
0: Yeah, yeah. We book a local music showcase once a month, Chirp um, Night at the Whistler, which we've been doing since before the station launched. I think that we started that back in like early two thousand nine, maybe even two thousand eight. And so on the fourth Wednesday of every month, we have two local bands, kind of up and coming local bands, who play at this cool cocktail bar. We do a quarterly live lit and music series called The First Time. And um, Chicago has a really thriving live lit community. And we've added music to ours to kind of set our event apart. And it's been really successful. It was actually just named the best literary event in Chicago in the Reader's Best of Chicago poll for 2017. And we just like to, to do fun things too that are just kind of random. We have done a record store crawl where we've hired a trolley and you go from record store to record store. And um, there, you know, so we've set up some special deals with the record stores. So the shoppers get special deals when they come in. And so we're always kind of trying to think of just fun things that bring listeners together in real life, too, that it's not just kind of a virtual experience or an over the air experience, but that there's always some personal connection, too.
3: I think Sean. I think it's been really amazing that you've been able to develop this audience as an online-only station, and and you've been able to convince people that online-only was important as well. So I'm curious how things have changed now that you have the FM license, and if you've seen your audience grow, um, and if your listeners, if you have different listeners than before.
0: Oh, we definitely have new listeners. Um, we you know i always felt like there was more opportunity for discovery in some ways with a broadcast just because the broadcast dial in chicago is finite and the internet is nearly infinite so you know if you have people kind of scrolling around on on the broadcast dial they eventually will come across you <laughs> and so right from the start i mean we were doing some testing before the official launch even happened and Got a call like immediately from some guy who was like, I'm driving on the Kennedy, and all of a sudden I heard your station. Who are you? This is cool. <laughs> and it just happened that, you know, the DJ had given the request line number at a time that this guy happened to be scrolling through and, and, and you know, came across the station and was super excited about it. And, um, since we launched, we've been hearing from people, we've been asking people to test the limits of the signal. You know, we're trying to figure out where people are listening and how far they can get it in. So people have been checking in via email and just saying like, Hey, I'm out here at, you know, uh, you know, I'm in Skokie, I'm, you know, at Skokie Boulevard and, and, and what have you, and, and I can get it in my house. Um. But also just, yeah, just hearing from people who are saying like, oh, I just discovered you. We actually had a launch party last Saturday night uh, at a brewery here and a guy showed up and came up to talk to me and he's like, yeah, I just found your station. (laughs) this past week, and um, came out to the event. So there's definitely been um, discovery happening. We, we've we had a lot of good press that's been really helpful. We've had some nice coverage that definitely exposed the station to new people. But I think there's also just really organic discovery happening, too.
3: That's got to be so gratifying after all of this time. Um, and it's got to be amazing for you to be able to go in your car and tune in and hear the station.
0: Oh, getting in the car every time is still exciting. Like, oh, right. That's right. Here it is.
1: <laughs> the magic of radio. And, and that's the thing, you know, we've talked a lot about here on the show on Radio Survivor. You know, we talk about podcasts. We talk about online radio. We talk about FM radio. But FM radio is the stumble upon, is a stumble upon medium. It is something where you can find it uh, because you turned on a radio because there's only going to be at maximum 20 or 30 stations in any given market. There's only that little bit of real estate and you're going to spin by. It's the same thing like having a billboard on a major street. Somebody is going to stumble upon that, right? And in the world of the internet, there's... It you know it seems like an infinite number of podcasts or or or, or online stations, and it's a very different sort of uh, method of of creating that awareness and that discovery. Um, before you launched the FM, when you were uh, principally an online station at the Chicago Independent Radio Project, what did you do to kind of build that listenership and awareness?
0: Well, again, it was just being out. Um, we, so we've you're always, really
1: focusing locally then in that way. You're really thinking, you know, building, building your brand in Chicago, obviously.
0: We've always viewed ourselves as, as a Chicago radio station. Um, you know, it, it, we're always happy to have people listening from elsewhere. But when you tune in you will know very quickly that it's a station that's based in Chicago and that Chicago is a key part of everything that we do. So we never wanted to create a station that was sort of placeless mm-hmm. just so it would appeal to a larger online audience. We wanted to create a station that was for Chicago and by Chicago. And if people were interested in, in hearing that, you know, we would welcome them from wherever they were coming, but um, it's always been a local radio station.
1: Do you hear from people outside of Chicago?
0: Oh, we have a ton of listeners from outside of Chicago. We've got a bunch of listeners in New Zealand. Um, Ohio seems to uh, have all sorts of Chirp fans in it. We've got so many loyal listeners in Ohio. Um, you know, we get check-ins from Germany and from Israel. Um, we've, yeah, there are listeners all over the world. And it's, it's, it's interesting because there are kind of two different buckets. You know, there are definitely the super loyal Chicago fans. And then there's just this other group that has found us in some random way and, um, has remained loyal to the station.
1: You know, I think that that's, uh, it's interesting and I think it's great for you to kind of lay that out because a lot of folks, when they start, you know, podcasts in particular, You know, they're familiar with national or international podcasts, they're familiar with the the podcast chart in at Apple and iTunes. And people tend to set their sites there because it's kind of what they know. And sometimes there's an allergy to being a local podcast or a local online station. And yet You have so many advantages to creating and building an audience where you are. And that doesn't necessarily mean that what you make isn't accessible or desirable to people who don't live where you are. I mean, people still watch Seinfeld, even though it was all New Yorkers living in New York, right? They don't seem to mind that, you know, uh, they don't, mind, you know, and it sounds like people love what you're doing with Chirp. Even though it's extremely Chicago centric, folks from Ohio, Germany, New Zealand seem to love what you do. Do you have a sense for what it is that they love? Do you you get like that kind of uh, specific kind of feedback at all?
0: Well, you know, I talk a lot about how I think so much of radio. And when I say this, I mean mainly commercial radio has kind of abandoned all these traditional strengths that it had that should be real selling points. And I just think localism is such a gigantic selling point. And when I say that, I mean, because it's got local flavor and local personality. And it used to be that you would, you know, if you drove across the country and you listened to radio stations in different markets, you would stumble on these really interesting things. And a radio station in Chicago would sound really different from a radio station in Austin, Texas, that would sound really different from a radio station in Sacramento. You know, there'd be... Um, you know, certainly um, local or regional music would would probably be a part of it. But just you know, you just really hear those different personalities. You'd hear the accents. You'd hear just different types of programming. And with consolidation, commercial radio sounds the same no matter where you go. If you you know are you're listening to an AC station in the south, it sounds pretty much exactly the same as an AC station in the north, and etc. And so I think that there's just something really appealing, and and that has been lost. And so when people find it, um, they really like it where it's like you listen to a station and you really hear that sense of place. You really get a sense of, oh, this is what the city is like. This is what's going on. These are the people who are highly involved in their communities. And it's just interesting. It's so much more interesting than some sort of a generic all things to all people, so we won't really sound like anything because we want to sound like everything. Um, I think that that's it's really interesting to people to sound like a place
1: I, I mean I could agree enough, yes, Jennifer, please
3: and that's part of you know I know that you're live your whole mission is live and local, and a lot of community radio stations utilize syndicated programming or automation. And and you don't, as far as I know, you don't air any syndicated programming and you're still not doing any automated programming. Um, and, and is that why? Because you want to yeah. re- maintain that local feel?
0: Yeah. And I mean, we've got enough people that uh, want to be on the air for us that, um, you know, it's I know that small stations struggle with that. If you only have 10 or 12 volunteers for your station, you can't be live all the time. Uh, but we're fortunate enough that we're able to be. And, yeah, I mean, it's really important to us. We always want listeners to be able to interact with us in real time. So if they hear something on the air that they're interested in, they have a question they can ask, um, you know, they can make a request, they can just stumble across the station and want to learn more about it and they can pick up the phone or they can write an email and they can get an immediate response from somebody who's, who's in the studio interacting with them in in real time. I just think it's so crucial to good radio.
1: Sean Campbell, general manager and founder of the Chicago independent radio project. Uh, Before we wrap up, I want to ask you, you know, if there's a big lesson, a big aha, a big takeaway that that sticks with you over this 10-year journey of building this great community online radio station and then being able to launch it as a low power fm on the air station is there, is there, is there any like big lesson that you kind of that you kind of take away that you've learned
0: well i never doubted this but a lot of people do so don't let people tell you that radio doesn't matter to people anymore uh, it it really does it's people have been so emotional about this broadcast launch and there have been people who have followed us from the beginning and who you know have been in touch and who told me like I was just sitting in my car crying when you guys went on the air um you know it's it really radio when done right it just fosters these like really great connections with people and it means something. So, you know, listening patterns have shifted. I'm not saying that everybody in the world is going to listen to your radio station, Um, but I think that there is still a hunger out there for that type of radio that is local, that is live, that gets out in the community and allows people to to interact and kind of get to know the station and, and, and the personalities involved. And I think that there's just, we don't have as much connection as we used to. We're we're connected all the time, but we're not really making personal connections. No one wants to talk on the phone anymore. You know, everybody wants to text. And there's just something very human in a community radio station. And people still really do want that. And I don't know, if you build it, they will come.
1: <laughs> That's a great place to leave it right there. Sean Campbell, you are the general manager and founder of the Chicago Independent Radio Project. Uh, where can folks hear your station both online and, and on the radio if they're in Chicago?
0: In Chicago at 107.1 FM on the north side and near north suburbs and anywhere in the world online at chirpradio.org. And we have a mobile app, so chirpradio.org mobile.
1: Thank you so much for joining us, Sean.
0: Oh, thanks for having me.
1: You're listening to Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. My name is Paul Reesmondel. I'm here with Eric Klein. Hi, everybody. And joining us via Skype from San Francisco is Jennifer Waits. And Jennifer, you've actually had the opportunity to visit the Chicago Independent Radio Project.
3: I did. It was... Field trip number one
1: hundred and five. <laughs> um, radio
2: field trip number one hundred and five <laughs> for the Radio Survivor Conference.
3: I know. Too bad it wasn't one hundred and seven because Ooh. their their um, frequency is one of seven point one. But I, I visited the station back in April twenty sixteen. And and I knew at the time that, you know, the launch of our FM was coming and there wasn't a specific date. Um so I was, I was very excited and really enjoyed my visit and talking to Sean. But I've been waiting ever since that time, you know, to hear word um, about their launch date. So I feel, you know, I feel excited having, having seen them, you know, during one point in the process. um, I feel excited that they made
2: it to this next step of, of getting on FM. I'm going to put, so I'm gonna just say that like it seems like what's so exciting about what they were doing is that most internet projects just don't involve that large of a community of people as as what they had accomplished. They had already had the um the staff of volunteer DJs for the full week, uh only going off the air for a few hours at night, uh all devoted to this online radio oh, yeah. project.
3: Yeah, more than two hundred volunteers, even as an internet-only station. Um, and when I talked to Sean, That's uh, when I visited the when I visited the station, she talked about the huge number of people that were showing up before there was even an online radio station. So people were coming mm-hmm. to meetings before they'd even built and anything. Up
1: demand in Chicago for for radio. Yeah, yeah. I mean, having lived I mean, there, I. I I understand that. I mean, there are great college stations. I I mean, I I like to think the WNUR, uh, (laughs) where I was the advisor. I wasn't responsible for the programming. Students were responsible for the programming. But a great radio station. What uh, are you going
2: to do when you graduate? uh,
1: Yeah, Exactly. Longstanding station uh, really representing house music in Chicago, which is very important, and and Chicago hip-hop. There's a great radio station at University of Chicago, which is all the way at the other end of the city, south end of the city. You can't even really hear it so well up at where you can here at WNUR, um, there's WZRD, have- there's a Loyal Station, which is uh, you know still a great station as a uh, as a college station. Jennifer, you were going to say?
3: Oh yeah, oh yeah, and a number of those stations have community members who are involved. Just uh, you know, Eric was pointing out, what are you going to do when you graduate? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I know that at University of Chicago and at WZRD. And at the loyalist station, there are still community member DJs. But there's fewer opportunities.
1: You know, what I realized at at, uh, WNUR was that there wasn't like an open call in the same way you see for uh, community radio stations often. And that sort of the way you got involved was sort of a bit more word of mouth, who you knew, persistence, I think in some cases often, uh, because of the fact that the station's College stations are so explicitly for the students that, you know, coming in as a non-student is, is not nearly as easy. And um, I think, you know, if you went around and, and you talked to people who even knew about a WNUR or a WLUW in Chicago and said, uh, how would you get on the air there? They probably say, oh, I don't know. you got to be a student, I guess, I don't know, or an alum or something. They probably wouldn't even be able to tell you. But in most places, if someone knows about their community radio station. It knows it exists and you ask them well how do you get on the air? They can probably tell you. Right? They can say, Well, no, it's you probably there's like a training class, yeah. you sign up, they have a list, or you call them, or you go online, you send an email. Something tells me that
2: that if I if I look at my phone right now and go to CHIRPS website, the Chicago
1: Independent Radio Project, I'm sure there's a There's a how to get involved. There's a volunteer. Get involved, right? Uh, And whether that's getting involved as a DJ, getting involved doing events, getting involved in helping out with concerts and benefits. And that's the superpower of
2: these community media institutions, in my opinion. It's just that the doors are open, and it makes it makes sense. You don't have to go sit down for a job interview. You don't have to submit a resume to to be able to participate in what their project is. And that that kind of openness is is. uh, is why they matter so much to me.
1: And Jennifer, you were there. I thought it was... Uh, uh, Sorry, go ahead.
3: Oh, well, just, you know, I think it was interesting the way Sean talked about the challenges when you're at a college radio station as well. So, you know, it makes sense to have... When you hold the license... It, it reduces some of the complexities of um, of being at a college radio station where community members might be peripheral to the project. So, you know, community members are front and center at CHIRP. So it, it's going to be a different kind of experience um, at, at CHIRP than at a college station where your, your relationship to the license holder could be tenuous. Um, and often there are challenges between community members and students. So it's not always an easy relationship
1: yeah and you were there, so you got to see the studios and get a sense of the vibe of the station can you can you quickly tell us a little bit about like what what it was like there?
3: yeah I mean it's in this historic really large historic warehouse building um that uh, I think it used to be a manufacturer for photo albums hmm. um and, and you know when I was thinking about my visit, I was struck by the creative industries that are still housed in the building. So there were some graphic designers. Um, and, and so Chirp seemed like a great fit in this space. And they had some shared spaces where they could do little events, like um, uh, they could have live music in, in kind of a shared space that was near their studio in the building. So it seemed like it really lent itself to a variety of activities Um, And they, you know, they built their studio out of this raw space in this section of the warehouse. So, you know, I was told that there were volunteers who had said that, you know, their blood was literally in the walls because they helped build, they helped carve out, you know, the on-air studio. And got splinters at the Um, same time. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, they had amazing, uh, one one thing that I... was really impressed by um, is the graphic design work. Um, uh, some really talented artists have designed posters and t-shirts for the station. So the walls were covered with, you know, some of the, you know, some of the great posters that they had created over the years for things like record fairs. Um, and, and so, you know, from the very beginning, it, it really seemed like they had their act together yeah. as far as, Branding and presentation and the identity for the station.
2: That's really wonderful.
3: So it it, it makes sense to me that um, that they've lasted this long and that they're continuing to thrive now. You know that they've taken this next step of of getting on FM because um, they already you know seem to be a very
2: successful online station. Yeah. I really appreciated what Sean Campbell had to say earlier uh, in this episode of Radio Survivor about just the why radio matters, and how the passion that uh, an individual brings to the airwaves when they sit down at the turntables, I'm going to say, and to share music, and that, that, yes, you can get all of this stuff in all these other places, but when, when a person shares with you what they care about, uh, it, it's, a, it's a one-to-one experience that's sort of un, unparalleled, and uh, that's why we love radio.
1: That is the raison d'etre <laughs> of Radio Survivor. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. We want to remind folks out there, you can listen to Radio Survivor online at radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. We're also on the radio on great stations like the Wave Farm WGXC in Accra and Hudson, New York, and at WCOMLP in Chapel Hill and Carborough, North Carolina. And uh, if you know a station, where uh, we should be I should broadcast Radio Survivor drop us a line let us know podcast at radiosurvivor.com you can also go to radiosurvivor.com and uh, click on the broadcast. Uh, podcast and radio show link and sign up there let us know or if you're at a station we'd love to uh, have you broadcast radio survivor of course we'd love to hear from you if you have any comments or suggestions about the show please drop us a line podcast at radiosurvivor.com you can learn more about anything we talked about the show in our show notes which is also at radiosurvivor.com slash podcast and as well this is a listener and reader supported enterprise so to learn more about how you can help us keep doing what we do we'd really appreciate it if you go to radiosurvivor.com slash support Jennifer thank you so much for joining us from the great state of California and the great city of San Francisco (laughs) yeah it was a great episode happy to be here (laughs) thank you so much Eric oh uh, yeah what a pleasure and thank you to you for tuning in and spending an hour with us we really appreciate it have a great week